Now, as we look at this psalm, you may think this is not a very summary psalm, and you would be right, but it is a very important psalm for us. It's important because we live in a world full of suffering. We live in a world full of sin, and we live in a world that has been corrupted by sin, and and because of that, whether by the willful actions of other human beings or just by natural causes, human beings, our God's image bearers, have experienced suffering, sickness, heartache, depression, and death ever since Genesis 3. I know that's not the most encouraging sermon introduction that you have ever heard But this psalm that we are about to read is for those who suffer. It's for those who have been taken to the very edge of their endurance and feel like they are being pushed off the edge of the cliff. It's for those who have been abandoned by their family. It's for the one who has gone to the doctor and heard the worst diagnosis they could possibly hear. It's for those who once had strength and now it's gone because of age. It's for the one who is in constant, never-ending pain. It's for the one who's lost loved ones. And for the one whose life may look great on the outside, but on the inside is internally plagued by horrific depression and anxiety. And this this psalm isn't just for those who suffer, but it's for those who live and love those who do suffer. It's an ever-present reality in this world that we live in. And so this psalm, though it may not be fun for us to read, it may not be the most encouraging psalm for me to preach to you, it is necessary. And so let us look together at the 88th Psalm. The word of the Lord says this. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master according to the Mahalath Leonath, a mascal of Heman the Ezrahite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer Come before you, incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted as among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. 
My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Let's pray. Oh, Father God. Father, we live in a world full of suffering. Father, we live maybe in a nation right now that doesn't really like to point out suffering, that likes to hide it. But Father, suffering is a real and ever-present reality on this earth that has been corrupted by sin. Father God, I pray that we would be like the psalmist. And though everything else is dark, he is praying and he is crying out to you. Father, I pray for us in this moment that as we read and dig into this prayer, that we would see, even through the questions that we read, that you have a heart for those who suffer. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning that as we, as we suffer or we love or are around those who suffer, that this psalm would give us encouragement not to have words to say, but maybe just to be there and to recognize that you are God. And regardless of our circumstances, you care and you are righteous and good. Father, speak through me this morning. May I get behind your cross. And may Jesus be glorified. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at this psalm, we're going to see two major sections. Now, within those sections, the the psalmist is going to repeat himself often. And I think that's just kind of a a testament to the glory of God and his power in that he takes the the words of man, he takes men in in whatever situation they are in, and he, through their, their situation, through their distresses, he writes the words that he wanted recorded for us in his word. But the two sections we're going to look at in verse one through nine, we're going to see the state of the sufferer. We're going to see 
him cry out to God and pour out his heart before God at what he is going through. And then in the second part in verses 9 through 18, we will also see the plea of the sufferer as he begs God for relief. Well, in the state of the sufferer, we see at the very beginning, possibly the only ray or glimmer of hope in this entire psalm when he begins with, O Lord, God of my salvation. This psalmist, this author has probably lost sight of just about every other covenant promise, but he is holding on to that one. This is his lifeline, and he shows it to us at the very beginning of the psalm. He knows that the same God who rescued his people Israel from the hand of Egypt is the same God who is his God today, and so he clings to that. He clings to the fact that the God that he is praying to is the God who rescues him and redeems him. And not only that, not only is he just holding on to that, but it says, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Whatever the psalmist is going through, he is still praying. In fact, one author says that the the miracle of this psalm is that this author is still praying at all. You know, one definition of insanity that a lot of us, you've probably heard the quote, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is insanity. Well, that is not the case with prayer, and that's not what this author believes. He is praying even though he has prayed over and over again, and he's crying out day and night. And though he is in great suffering, he is still praying And then as we, as we get in to the actual what is going on, he, he starts to tell us in verse three, for my soul is full of troubles. It's interesting, he's talking when he says his soul is full, it's, that language is actually normally used for being full and satisfied, and yet what he is full of is he's full of troubles. He is overflowing, he's full to the brim of sufferings. And he feels like he has one foot in the grave. And he goes on with all of these metaphors to describe the fact that whatever his suffering is that he's going through, he feels like he is dying. My soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. And one of the interesting things about this psalm is we don't really know what what Heman the, the Ezraite is going through. Some, some writers think that he might have had leprosy and so he was, he was suffering through a physical ailment. But the truth of the matter is the, the Bible gives us plenty of examples of people who talk just like this who were physically fine, but they were going through deep and dark depression or they had, they had lost friends and family. So this psalm is, is for us now today because no matter what suffering we may go through, we can come to this psalm and we can pray these words to God. But again, whatever it is that this, this psalmist is going through, whether it's a physical ailment or whether it's just oppression that has brought him so low, he feels like he might as well be dead. I'm a man who has no strength. I'm like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those who you remember no more. 
for they are cut off from your hand. He is in such a state of suffering that he might as well be in a tomb. And after he describes these things of of what it is like for him in the midst of his suffering, he takes a turn. And it's a turn that we may be a little bit uncomfortable with. And in verse 6, he says, You have put me in the depths of the pit. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. Later in the, in the chapter, it says, your wrath, in verse 16, your wrath has swept over me. The verse right before, I suffer your terrors, your dreadful assaults destroy me. As uncomfortable as it is for us to think about this, this psalmist, this author, knows 100% that God is in control even of his suffering. God is in control of all things. We often call that the sovereignty of God. And although we, we don't like to think about God being in control of suffering, in control of the things that go on in this world that are terrible, that is what the Bible and this psalm is telling us. Now we may be a little bit more comfortable and tempted to think, well, well, maybe Heman the Ezraite has fallen into some sort of sin. Maybe he has, you know, started committing sin, and so he's he's going through this, and God is God is disciplining him in order to bring him back into repentance, into a a right relationship with God. And it, honestly, that might be the case. That might be the case of what's happening here, but we also don't know. It may not. Heman the Ezraite may just be suffering. Because he lives in a world that has suffering in it. I mean, let's remember Job. Job, we're, we're talking about him in Sunday school. We're going through the book of Job right now. And Job was a considered by God a, a righteous man. And it is when the heavenly court is gathered and, and God asks, asks Satan what's going on. Satan says, oh, I've been going back and forth on the earth and And then it's God who points out Job. Have you considered my servant Job? And Job goes through horrific and horrendous suffering. And Job is is never given a reason why. The fact is that, that suffering happens in this world to the seemingly undeserving and the deserving alike. Now, if it makes us uncomfortable to think of this and to think of the fact that God is in complete control of our suffering, can we think for just a second about the cross? If we would, if we would rather think that God is not in control of our suffering, that is extremely uncomfortable for me, but the cross itself should tell us exactly the opposite. 
Now, let us not become so callous or so familiar with hearing about the cross that we are not shocked by the injustice of it. And we're not brought to our knees by the horrific tragedy that Jesus' crucifixion was. Yes, we may hear of, we may even experience much seemingly undeserved suffering. But let me remind you, as hard as it is for us to understand sometimes, that no, there has never been anyone who has walked the face of this planet, child, adult, elderly person, infant, there has never been anyone less deserving of suffering than Jesus Christ. Jesus is and was the perfect, the sinless Son of God. There was no evil in Jesus whatsoever. And yet he experienced the worst this world has to offer, and he deserved exactly zero of it. He suffered and died. And in this, this, this greatest and most heinous act of evil that has ever been committed on this earth, the slaying of the Son of God, do you think there was one moment in which God was not in control? Was there one moment in which Jesus himself was not able to get off the cross and to turn every single one of those who were putting him through it around him into dust? No, Jesus, God, was in complete control. In fact, this was the plan from the very beginning. The plan made by the Godhead, the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before the world even began. That the Son would suffer at the hands of sinners in order to redeem a people for his possession. As uncomfortable as it makes us, God is in control of our suffering. And so the, the author has, has described to us what he is going through and how he's, what he is in, what his state is. But then he goes on to make his plea. And he makes his plea and he says, every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. The author knows that God is in control of his suffering. And though he is questioning, though he doesn't understand what is going on, he is still praying and his hands are outstretched in surrender. Knowing that God is in control and he is still trusting in his heavenly father. And then he goes on, he says, he begins to ask these questions of God. He asks, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon, are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? You know, we can, we can look at this and we can even look at those uh, verses earlier in three through five and we can, be, we can be tempted to think, this guy may not have a good view of eternity because when we do die, we... If we are, have faith in Jesus Christ, we are to be with him. So what's going on here? Why does this guy seem to think that, that there's, there's nothing for him once he dies? 
Well, remember, at the very beginning of the psalm, he does say, God of my salvation. So this author isn't, isn't trying to feed us a different theology or a different view of what happens to us when we die. But here is what he is seeing. He is just looking at this life that we are in right now. He's looking at this life and he is thinking about a graveyard. And I don't know about you, but a graveyard is not a place that I go to for a worship service. I've never sat at the tombstone of a friend of mine and expected him to get up out of the tomb and start sharing the gospel with me. This author has a very real view of how awful death is. And though, yes, we, we have hope beyond the grave, the fact is that the grave is still the grave. And the author is, is pleading with God. He, he wants to be able to get up from his suffering. He wants to be able to go back to the temple and tell everyone, I was in this awful state of suffering, but God redeemed me and rescued me out of it. And now I can tell you of how awesome God is. But he's, he's pleading with God because he's saying, God, I, if I do die, there's no way I can tell people that. And that's true for us today. We, as followers of Jesus, have been, have been given a command to witness to the world and tell the world about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But there will be a day when we can no longer declare that in this world. There will be a day when we will go to our grave and, and we will, in this body, until Jesus comes back, we will not declare the faithfulness of our God anymore. Now that is, that is tough and that is, that is hard for us. And, and one thing that, that maybe we need to remind ourselves of is, is what one author said, that, that while this, this author was, was suffering, while this psalmist was suffering here, let us be encouraged that this pious man has been in glory for 3,000 years now and he's singing a very different song. And we should, have, we should have hope in that. We should have hope in the fact that his eternity has just begun and though he suffered here, that we do know the promises. We are able to see outside of his suffering with a full revelation of scripture that when we have faith and trust in Jesus, and when we give our last breath here, it's not the end. But we will be with Jesus forever at that point. And the author continues after these, these questions and his, his desire to, to go back and his, his questions asking, am I going to be able to speak of your, of your goodness to those around me? And after this, his, in beginning in verse 12 or verse 13, his, his plea reaches a critical point and he boldly begins to question God. But I, O oh Lord, I cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? I've prayed over and over again, God, but do you even hear me? Have you forgotten about me? 
God, are you intentionally ignoring my situation? God, this is where I am. I'm helpless. I'm afflicted. I'm close to death. Father, your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. God, it's like I'm stuck in a flood. I have no ability to rescue myself. My head is going under, and I'm a hair's breadth away from drowning. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. The psalmist has poured out everything, everything that is on his heart. He has laid it out in front of the God of his salvation. And while a lot of psalms would, would take this point and they would say, but you, O oh God, are the God of my salvation and I will praise you. Instead, our author, all he has left to say, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. and My companions have become darkness. In fact, if you have the CSB in front of you, it would say darkness is my only friend. The psalmist has that lifeline at the very beginning of his sermon. You are the God of my salvation. That is the only thing that he is clinging to and grasping to. He is in such a depth of sorrow that he pours out his heart and he has no praise to offer. He only has his heart and his sufferings to offer to his heavenly father. Now, we should be reminded that, again, most of the psalms that begin like this, they end in joy. And for, for the believer in Jesus Christ, even in our suffering, there should be most of the time where we can just God, say, God, I will still praise you. But we also serve a God that when our suffering blinds us to everything else, we can simply pour out our hearts to him and plead with him. Well, as we conclude, there are, there are several things that I think we need to remember and apply from this passage. The first is, and it's a hard one, but just as this psalm doesn't end on a happy note, Christians, we're not guaranteed a happy ending in this life. And again, we don't know what happened to him in the Ezraite after he prayed this prayer. He may have been healed. He may have been able to go back into the temple and tell everyone around him of what God had healed him from. But he might have jumped both feet into the grave at that point. God is still righteous, the same, and his promises still hold true regardless. You know, our lives here on this earth may end in incredible suffering. But we also need to remember that the promises that we have from God are for the life to come. They are for us that we will be with our Lord and Savior for all eternity. 1 Thessalonians 4 said, And the dead in Christ will rise first, 
Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. We're not guaranteed a happy ending in this life. We're not guaranteed health or wealth or prosperity. In fact, we're pretty much guaranteed the opposite. But we are guaranteed life forever with our Savior when either we close our eyes in death or when he comes back to rescue his children. The next thing that we need to remember is that we must pray. We must pray. Pray now if things are good in your life. Praise God that he has blessed you with good things. Pray when you are suffering, but you can still praise God and pray when you are in the same situation as this psalmist, where all you can pray is just pouring out your heart before God and asking him for relief. Pray when the only thing that you can remember is that you have a Savior in Jesus Christ, your Lord. Continue to pray and be encouraged. Be encouraged. Guys, this prayer is in the Bible. This prayer that doesn't end well and where this author is wrestling with God, it's in the Bible. These are God's words that he wanted us to have. He wanted us to have this word where this this author seemingly pretty boldly puts the responsibility for his suffering on God and yet we're given it here and we are encouraged to pray this prayer. So be encouraged that we have a God who invites us to ask him questions and wrestle with him in prayer. He's not a God who as soon as we just have a a hair of doubt or as soon as we struggle with something that we're going through, he just smites us and leaves us alone. No, he invites us to have a real relationship with him where we can really pour out our hearts to him and we can even ask him hard questions. He's a big God and he can handle these things. And when we, when we struggle maybe to ask these questions, let's, let's remember from Hebrews, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence, not because of us, but because of what Jesus has already done for us, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Not only do we need to pray, but we need to be persistent in our prayer. God doesn't always answer us in our timing or even the ways that we want him to. But we are to be persistent. We should remember the, the parable Jesus told of the persistent widow who went to an unrighteous judge and kept bringing her case before him and bringing her case before him until the unrighteous judge said, all right, I'm going to give you the answer just so you stop bothering me. That's an unrighteous judge, but God is a good and gracious God. And Jesus is encouraging us in that story to keep praying, to be persistent in our prayer. The psalmist, he said that he had been close to death from his youth up. He's been praying day and night. He's been waking up early in the morning to pray. So we also, in our suffering, And at all times, we should be constantly in prayer. 
The next thing we need to remember, we don't need to be the friend that abandons. The author twice says, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. And then at the very end, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. We are not to be the friends that abandon our brothers and sisters while they are suffering. Jesus was very clear. Probably most of all in Matthew 25. That we, if we are to follow him, we need to be those who reach out when others are suffering. And we need to be their companions in that time. We are not to let our brothers and sisters in Christ suffer on an island. Now, I know that's been really hard for us in the past year with COVID. What a blessing we have cell phones that we can call one another. What a blessing that we live in a time where technology allows us, even when we can't be face-to-face, to still be friends that care about one another. And if I could say it in a way that maybe would be something we can remember a little better, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy that abandons your friends while they're suffering. Reach out. And even when we don't have anything to say, we could do the one thing that Job's friends did right. They did a lot of things wrong, but they they sat with him and they mourned with him for a long time. The last thing that we need to remember is we need to remember Christ. We need to remember the Lord Jesus, the Savior that we trust in. If you have trusted in him, he's walked through this. In fact, the the Anglican church on Good Friday, they use Psalm 22 and Psalm 88. And they pray through those. Because here's the truth. This psalmist was abandoned by his friends. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus lost all of his friends. They all fled from him and ran away. The psalmist, he prayed and prayed and prayed and didn't receive the answer that he was looking for. Have you prayed and prayed and not received the response or had to wait incredibly long to hear anything from God? Well, Jesus in that same garden prayed that the cup of God's wrath would be, the cup of his job on the earth would be passed from him. That answer was no. Now, Jesus did say for God's will to be done, but the first prayer was no. Jesus did go to the cross, and he fully fully took the full wrath of God against sin on himself on the cross. Have you ever wanted to ask God, why do you hide your face from me? Why do you cast my soul away? Remember that Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christian, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, knows what it is like to suffer. 
he has felt them keenly himself. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You may go through sufferings, you may go through despair, but know Jesus has been there too. I know if you are not a believer in this room, I know that you suffer too. And when I encourage you to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to repent of your sin and turn to him in full assurance of faith that he will save you, I am not guaranteeing that your life is going to be hunky-dory from this point on. In fact, I'm pretty much guaranteeing you the opposite. You are going to suffer, and if you're already suffering, you're going to keep suffering. But remember, the promise is not for this life. The promise is forgiveness of your debt to your creator and God. And it is a promise that though you may suffer in this life, you will close your eyes in death and you will wake up and see your Savior face to face who paid every bit of the penalty for your sin for you when he died on that cross. I can't guarantee you a healthy life for worldly success. And anyone who does is telling you lies or distorting the truth of Scripture. I can guarantee that if you put your faith in Jesus, you will be with him forever one day. Whether you die or he comes and gets you first, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.